cold open. It's going to be a cold open. Hey guys, Rob here. Um, me and Aaron actually recorded this episode two months ago, three months ago. Wow. Um, and in the episode, we explained that we were going to take a break for a while. Uh, but then part of that break was me not editing. So you never heard us say that we were taking a break. My bad. Uh, but good news, uh, Aaron and I have recently recorded a new episode, which will be coming out soon, and obviously this one's coming out because you're hearing this now, uh, so yeah, we're back, uh, I actually am recording this cold open before I've edited the episode, so I don't even know what you're about to hear, uh, hope it's good, alright, enjoy the show. Hey, Aaron. Good to see you again. Uh, quick question. How do you feel in general about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? I love them, but I almost always use high-quality peanut butter, high-quality jelly, and the least-quality bread I can find, which is typically Eggos. Yes, well, Eggos right. are not the lowest-quality bread you could find. You could just buy, like, white Wonder Bread. Well, okay, let me rephrase. The most plasticky bread I can find. Okay, I, w- I want to get into that, because that's fucking weird. Um, I would <laughs> like you to describe the order of construction of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, first you get the Eggos out of the freezer. <laughs> you stick those fucking bad boys in a toaster. And you put them, you click the frozen button. If your toaster has a button for frozen, you click that. And you always turn it up to high. You gotta have a nice crispy Eggo. Here's the deal. I don't use Eggos because they're high quality or low quality or plastic quality. I use them because they are the perfect vessel for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They've got little pockets perfectly designed for both PB and J. Then, once they're done, I slap on the peanut butter. Then I slap on the jelly on the other side. And then they go on top of each other with okay. the peanut butter and the jelly facing outward. I'm just kidding. Okay. That was that was a step too far. You went too far. That was about to be a crime. Um, now, do you deliberately put the peanut butter on before the jelly? Or is that just the order you said for the sake of this podcast? No, always. I always put the peanut butter on first. Why? I do not know. Um, hmm. Oh, actually, I do know why. Here's why. Although, I'm not sure that it's the true reason, Rai. It's the reason that I have come up with most recently. I like to, I don't like to re, I don't like to use a new knife. And I like to just lick off the knife. But the thing is, um, before I started buying new peanut butter, I would use the house peanut butter and... I was the only consumer of my jelly, right? Chelsea didn't like my jelly because she likes just regular vanilla strawberry 
And by vanilla strawberry, I mean strawberry. And I like, like, the four fruits. I like to have currants and, or I don't know how that's pronounced, currants, whatever it is. I like all the kind of shit in there. So, uh, it Do was... Do you get, like, the, the, like, chunky jelly that oh, has, like... Oh, yes. Preserve jelly only. That shit's the bomb. Um... And what you do is you use the house peanut butter, and now because you're going to stick the knife in something only you use, you can lick off the peanut butter and do the jelly. Now, I have both my own peanut butter and my own jelly because Chelsea doesn't like my peanut butter now either. (laughs) And so I really could go any order now, and it shouldn't really matter. Why do you ask? Um, I feel like there actually is a right answer to this question. I think you've stumbled into the right answer. Okay. And I don't know if my reason's good either. Okay. But this is what I've always believed. Okay. Um, no matter how hard you lick that knife, there's going to be some of the previous ingredient on it. I mean, molecularly correct. Visibly, no. I licked that bitch clean. Well, I, I don't want to, like... I don't want to use two knives either, but I figure, like, do you refrigerate your peanut butter? Ooh, so this is a good question, too. We're getting on a lot of tangents here. Generally speaking, no, but the peanut butter that I buy... How are you so weird? (laughs) Who refrigerates peanut butter? Wait. That was supposed to be an easy one. (laughs) Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. The peanut butter that I get now, and we have talked about this, is Elliot's Spicy Thai Peanut Butter. Which is amazing. Uh, However, it's real peanut butter. They don't put like emulsifiers and shit in it. It's literally just the ingredients that they put like the peanuts and like the spicy Thai shit and that's it. Right? They don't put any emulsifiers or I don't even know what else they could put in it. But they don't put any other shit in it. And... Uh, because of that, it comes separated, right? You know, where the oil's sitting on top. You got your all, your nice little chunks on the bottom. You got to stir it up, right? You got to get your peanut butter nice and homogenous. Once you have your peanut butter homogenous, I don't want it to de-homogenize. So I use what I like to call climate-controlled emulsification, or what you might want to say is Now, do you like to call it that? Or no. did you just make that shit I up? I literally just made it up so that it would sound more I more wanted efficient. to make it clear that you're not as weird as you're trying to make yourself well, sound No, I'm right trying now. to make myself So, Mal, to be fair, I'll, I'll grant you this. I've never taken the Elliot's peanut butter and put it back in the pantry. So I have no evidence that it will re-separate that quickly. Does that make sense? I just assumed that it would, and so due to that assumption, decided to just hedge my bets and always put it in the refrigerator. Well, but anyway, the point I was going to make <laughs> is that I refrigerate jelly, and I don't know exactly why jelly oh. needs to be refrigerated and peanut butter doesn't, but I, but I don't want something that has to be refrigerated not refrigerated, so I don't want to get jelly in the peanut butter, so I do the peanut butter first, and then jelly second. Oh, that seems smart, although do do most jellies say that you must refrigerate after opening? I'm going to say they do because I've always refrigerated my jellies, and I don't want that to have been a lie. So, plain and simple, 
Refrigerating anything is all about limiting the growth of things you don't want, such as bacteria or fungus. So, for example, another thing that's a little weird is I do refrigerate my bagels. Most people don't refrigerate bagels, but I like the bagels that I get. And every once in a while, if I keep them in the pantry, I pull my bagel out and it got a little bit of moldy on it. And by putting it in the refrigerator, you effectively reduce the time, or sorry, increase greatly the time period required for that mold to grow and take hold. Although it still will eventually grow, grow, it will just take longer. That is not why I put my peanut butter in the refrigerator, though. I have never, as far as I know, had any peanut butter spoil in any way whatsoever. Right. So my, I know my parents had peanut butter and ketchup in the pantry for years, and we still use it. So like, yeah. I don't refrigerate peanut butter or ketchup in my life today. I do ketchup. I don't know why. I kind of like the cold sensation of a little bit of cold ketchup on that hot dog or that burger. You know, it gives it a little bit of Oh, extra. no. No. Oh, I like the mix of... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, although I bet it would be fine if you got a little bit of jelly in your peanut butter. By the way, you got some Elliot's peanut butter, did you not? I did. Does it re-separate after uh, like 24 hours or 48 hours? or It re-separates, but I've never eaten it like two days in a row, so I don't know if it takes 24 hours. I see. Okay. So it's it's enough length of time to where you're not sure... I promise you, if you stick that that uh, that guy in the refrigerator, it will not re-separate. Minor life inconveniences. <laughs> can I? Can we? Can we talk about Elliot's peanut butter? We can go for it. I cannot with Elliot's peanut butter get the quantity of peanut butter I need on the bread that I want. Like, there's just not enough peanut butter in that jar for me to feel good about that. Oh, so this is why I buy four jars off of Amazon at once. It's, it's just way <laughs> too expensive. Like, the, the price of that peanut butter sandwich gets Ooh. to be to the point where, like, I might as well go buy a filet mignon. I'm... <laughs> like, <laughs> like the economics are not there to put the much... amount of peanut butter I want on the sandwich. How much is it per jar? I think it's nine dollars. No, it can't. And they're be. this, and they're this, and they're pretty small jars. Wow. Okay. Now I feel like I shouldn't have said that I buy four jars <laughs> at once. <laughs> that's uh... if you get the non-peanut based nut spreads. That's what they call them. That's what they call them. They're even more money. I think they're thirteen per jar for the non-peanut based wow. ones. Um. Okay, I've been making mistakes. Let's never, ever tell Chelsea how much that peanut butter is. She will stab me in my between my third and fourth ribs. I like the taste of Elliot's when I just get like a knife and just start eating it with the knife more than I like oh. the taste of Jif. But it's not enough better to make up for the cost difference because Jif, you can get like a giant fucking container of that shit for like $6. Yeah. And Jif is a lot thicker. There's a lot less air content in Jif, so there's a lot more peanut butter in the jar. Like, Ellie's has a lot of air in their peanut butter. Yeah, and a lot of chunks, right? 
Well, you can get Chunky Jeff. It's not the same kind of Chunky, but... Oh, my God. Okay, this has to be wrong. I don't remember. <laughs> the spicy tie is $13.99. Oh, my God. Rob, I've been making mistakes. Yeah, I bought three pounds of chicken today for, for like, $13.99. I was going to say, for like $12. Uh, wow. Well, I might have to change my habits. The yeah. I did not mean for our peanut butter and jelly conversation to end up introspective. I mean, this is this has taught me things, Rob. This has taught me things. <laughs> uh, it's so good though. I will miss it so much. No offense to Jif, but once you go to like a high quality nut butter, it's it just doesn't seem like you can go back. <laughs> you can. And let me tell you how. You just stop buying. Don't the no. Don't think of them as being the same product. Like let's be straight. Mm. Elliot's taste completely different than Jif tastes. So I just in my head like I'm gonna have a Jif sandwich today versus I'm gonna have an Elliot sandwich today. I sw- okay, like, that's they're good. different things. One is a luxury product. Yeah. <laughs> one is a consumer product. Yeah. They're not the same. They're kind of like kind of the same. But, like, you can but, go yeah. to, like, you know, Neiman Marcus and get a coat, or you can go to Ross and get a coat. Yeah. Those coats, you're not expecting to do the same thing. That's true. Okay, good good point. You know what, Rob? This has made me, this has made me feel better. Um, you're right. The other ones are more expensive. They have an everything bagel nut butter. Wow. They also have a chocolate chili almond butter and an Oregon hazelnut chocolate. Do you know, Rob, I should How much time do you think Elliot spends making nut butter? I don't know. <laughs> all all of his time. Dude, the classic salted peanut butter, $9.99. Jesus. I wonder how much it is in Safeway, because they have it in my Safeway. I should check and see. It's not going to be a ton less than that. No, it'll either be more or like a dollar less. Okay, Rob, let's talk about Iran. We did a little bit of riffing right before this, and I said I know a little bit, and you said you know none. True. Uh, So I'll give you the the two-minute spiel of what my understanding is, although I'm probably wrong (laughs) in a few areas. Um, okay, it all began in around 100 AD. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but honestly, uh, though. But honestly, though. Probably um, you could trace it back to 0 AD in the birth of Christ and how that ended up leading down two separate paths. And... Yeah. I'm sure that there's, there's plenty of stuff that we can trace it to before that, too, though. So, um, so... Basically, as far as I understand, what happened was uh, some forces, we don't know, I I mean, sorry, I try not to poke people too much, but I poked a few people over the break. Uh, At the time, the best information we had was that Iranian-backed, like, kind of like terror cells in uh, Iraq, had attacked something. I don't even know this part. 
and killed an American contractor. So the U.S. Uh, responded, this again, this to the best of my knowledge, by doing some airstrikes in Iraq. Like, just, I don't know exactly where. Maybe we should have looked all this up. But this is generally correct. And it, the reason why there's a little bit of a hubbub about it is because we didn't like notify our allies and we didn't notify Iraq, which is kind of like, again, I, I'm not big into this kind of stuff, but I think that's general operating procedures. And it's kind of, it's kind of like, Hey, we're taking military action that we hadn't told you about before allies. We just want you to know in case somehow this escalates into a bigger problem for all of us. And also Iraqi government, sovereign nation, we should probably tell you that we, a, uh, a nation that is not your nation, is performing airstrikes on your soil uh, without your knowledge. Uh, now, conservatives... they got gotten very similar issue so far with the Bin Laden and Pakistan situation, right? They did not notify the Pakistani government at all that we were going to be doing a covert operation to find... And it was in Islamabad, Pakistan, where they I ended up. Forget exactly where. Um, right. Uh, my understanding was that there was a um, open-ended. Uh, <laughs> there was an open-ended uh, notification with Pakistan. I'm not sure exactly what the case is with Iraq. I thought uh, the argument with Pakistan was that the U.S. government believed that Pakistan knew Bin Laden was there and was purposely not taking action against him. So the U.S. government's argument was that if they notified Pakistan, they would have warned Bin Laden. I, I mean, thought that was the argument. I'm not saying that's a good argument. I'm saying that's what the argument that was made, I thought. Yeah, well, there is an entire Wikipedia article entitled Allegations of Support System in Pakistan for Osama Bin Laden. So you're probably right. So it could be a situation like that. Right? Um, but I know that was part of the criticism. Um, so conservatives would say, like, hey, we've been there all along doing this. Like, what's different about these airstrikes? Then I'm not exactly sure. This is where it gets a little muddy. But I don't think that there was any, like, actual retaliation. But a famous Irani general, Qasem Soleimani, um landed in Baghdad, and this would have been, like, the second or something like that? The first or the second, something something like that, of this year. And, or maybe it was right before New Year's, I'd have to check. But um, he landed in Baghdad, got in a car, and then, like, a few minutes later, was blown up. And he was the like basically leader of the Iranian special forces. They're called the Quds, K Q U D S, I think, or Quds, um, something like that. And uh, he was the commander of the. Or it's basically the Iranian special special forces. And it is alleged, and in many cases confirmed, that he sucks ass. Like this guy's not a cool guy, right? It's not like. He's, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, there is probably an example of just your regular old general that was operating during Nazi Germany that 
didn't do any war crimes and just did his battlefield stuff. And you would say, not a not on our side, but also like not like going out of his way to commit war crimes. Whereas this guy generally I think we believe that he has probably committed war crimes and he is accused of like doing all kinds of extrajudicial killings in Iraq and like orchestrating attacks on American soldiers in Iraq and things like that. So not a great guy. And and one thing that I want to keep clear that is a little frustrating to me is a lot of people will be like, if you cast any doubt that this attack on this general was a good idea, the response is always, oh my God, this guy was a bad guy. Like we killed a bad guy. And it's like, yes, but like, there are socio-political consequences to killing bad guys. Like, so the the thing the thing to point out is, as far as I understand, no Democrats has said we shouldn't have killed him because he's a good guy, right? Nobody's saying that, right? So that's that's the first piece that I think everyone agrees that this guy is a bad guy or was a bad guy. <laughs> so the fallout from this, then the Iraqi Parliament. Uh, just voted today, I think, to expel all U.S. troops from Iraqi soil. That's Iraq a voted on that. Iraq voted on that because we performed both the earlier airstrike strikes, which I don't think were really related, but were just part of the hubbub, and this attack on Soleimani um, on Iraqi soil. All of these attacks were on Iraqi soil. So. Either correctly or incorrectly, they are upset about that and have passed some resolution to say that American troops should leave Iraqi soil. There was a little bit of like a weird letter that leaked today that said that we were maybe going to make an announcement that we were leaving. But then the the Secretary of Defense came out and said that that letter was not real. So Wait, wait so Iraq voted... And they are standing by their want for there not to be U.S. troops in Iraq. That's my understanding. And we said no? Well, I don't think we've said anything yet. Um, Can we do that? Doesn't that mean we're technically now invading Iraq? I mean, yes. If we stay, we are technically invading Iraq, right? If you, if you have troops stationed in a country that has commanded you to leave their sovereign soil then yes, you are currently an invading force. (laughs) Again, this is the thing that's a little bit frustrating to me. Saying that as a factual, like saying that as a fact doesn't necessarily even mean that I think we should leave. Did I, I, hold on. Did I miss the part, what was this this Iranian general's name? uh, Qasem Soleimani. Let's see. And, and, when when he was tried, so, so what, what what did the jury find? Uh, good good question. But again, when Osama bin Laden was tried, what did the jury find? I had the same I had the same problem with that though. I yeah, don't think okay. we should have done that either. Okay, so so valid argument. Like cool, as long as you're consistent. Uh, like, yeah, I don't. So he was unless not you tried. are have a declaration of war. You shouldn't be killing people without trial. So That's I, what the declaration of war is supposed to be there for. Yeah, so one of the things that makes this a little bit even worse than what you could call an extrajudicial 
an extrajudicial killing of Osama bin Laden. What I want to make clear and what I think is frustrating to me is saying things that are facts, like we killed him extrajudicially, doesn't necessarily mean that I disagree. That's a separate discussion, right? But like people I feel like on the other side will freak out like, holy shit, does that mean you like, no, I'm just saying like as a fact, we killed a human being without trying that human being, right? So, as a matter of fact, it is an extrajudicial killing. There's no other way to put it. Now, we never declared official all-out war for all of Iraq. So, whether there's some declaration that we did, like a declaration of hostilities or some bullshit like that. Yeah, it's. Uh, let me see. It's called like. Let me let me look it up real quick. Authorization for use of military force against Iraq. Is is what. Is that- so then the Osama bin Laden problem becomes the fact that we did it in Pakistan. So the Osama bin Laden problem becomes more of a Pakistani relation problem. But like what I was going to point out is the difference is that we killed Osama bin Laden, at least from what we claim, which I think is not untrue, that we killed him because he was the leader of a terrorist cell, right? Whereas we don't have that argument for Soleimani. Like, there's no other... Unless you want to declare the Iranian government a terrorist cell, sure, which is but, a whole bag of words. But, but either way, like, either way, he's an Iranian asset, right? We, like, we killed him as an Iranian asset, whereas we killed Osama bin Laden as an al-Qaeda asset, right? And so we weren't making any declaration of war on any one country. Now, we did, uh, what's the best word, uh, violate Pakistan's... Uh, sovereignty when we put people there had them kill a person that was in their on their soil and then left right but we didn't like make any attacks against pakistan or saudi arabia or iraq or iran we attacked an individual because of their place as an asset of al-qaeda not because of their place as an asset of any one country that would then probably see that as a declaration of war Right. Now, the one thing that one person said, going to, back to a Bin Laden, because this is the most similar story in the recent past decade, that one person said to me, and I don't know if it's true, but if it is true, that might sway my opinion, uh-huh. is that the United States and Pakistan had an official agreement on the books to be looking for Bin Laden, and that the U.S. government had found evidence that the Pakistani government was just that they knew where he was and wasn't telling the U.S. government, even though there was an agreement in place between the two governments to not harbor him. And that's why the U.S. didn't tell the Pakistani government. And if that's true, that sheds a different light on the situation. It doesn't change the extrajudiciality. No, it doesn't. Yeah, but it changes the relationship between us and Pakistan, right? Or the rightness. Once again, your concern with, like, following the letter of the law... I I don't have that same concern. (laughs) I just think that there should be a process in place before a government is allowed to end a human's life. Yeah, okay. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I assume there was a process for Bin Laden. It just wasn't the process that we afford citizens of the country, right? There was a process. (laughs) Like at some point, 
there was a high-level person that was made aware that we had officially confirmed the location of bin Laden. And that person had to go to the president of the United States, which was Barack Hussein Obama, and tell him, hey, we found bin Laden. Here's what we think we should do. What do you think? I'm guaranteed they didn't go to Barack and be like, what do you think we should do? They went to him and was like, this is what we think you should do. Yeah. What do you think? These are, these are the three options. Let's discuss. This one's the best one. Yeah. I, there, there was no way that they're asking a, a civilian to come up with a plan. But yes. The, the same thing had to have happened to Trump. Someone high up in the military was made aware that they had the location and an opportunity to attack this guy. And they had to go to the President of the United States to get permission to do this, I assume. Because I don't think that there's a general... And I hope, I hope that there is not a general in the United States Army that is allowed to make the decision to kill the high-ranking official in a country that we have an antagonistic relationship with already. Like, I hope that's got to be an elected official making that decision. Yeah, I... I don't know, but I, I don't know I, either. I'm I saying what I hope so. is the case. I think Trump knew about it. Based so this is the other weirdness is when he was killed. Um, we didn't say anything. We had apparently no one had notified Congress. Not even the parts of Congress that are typically notified, like the Armed Services uh, Committees or the National Security Committees, um, and we hadn't notified any of our allies. And again, you could say, well, we didn't notify any allies when we killed Osama bin Laden. But at the same time, like, we had all pretty much agreed that if you find him, you kill him, right? Extrajudicially or not, like... There weren't a lot of people around the world that was like, who? Who is Osama bin Laden? Yeah. (laughs) Whereas pretty much, I I can almost guarantee 99.9% of Americans, including me, went... Who is this guy? Who is this I guy? guarantee that like 95% of Iranians were like, who is this guy? Well, that's... Like, who is the leader of the CIA, Aaron? Quick. Yeah. yeah. Christopher Ray. No, that's the FBI. Fuck. <laughs> like, anyway. Um, it's probably the exact same situation around. Like, there's yeah. probably maybe 100,000 human beings on Earth that could have pulled this name out. Yeah, and so that's why, again, you see all – I see a lot of this stuff from conservatives that's like, why do we have to notify allies? Why do we have to like – you know, he's a bad guy. You kill him. And it's like, well, there is a difference here between this case and Osama bin Laden because, again, pretty much all of the stable countries on earth had agreed that, hey, if you find Osama bin Laden, there's no reason why we wouldn't get rid of him. Whereas – that wasn't really the state that we that we are in with Iran or Soleimani, right? I'm not. Well, saying... it's also that there's an official sovereign nation that we that is recognized by the UN, it's recognized by the United States that this guy was a member of. Correct. Whereas I don't think there are too many countries on Earth that openly claimed Osama bin Laden as a representative of their country. Exactly. Right. So, like, you have to worry about the actual government of a sovereign nation's response with this one. Whereas, like. If there was a country, like it's just public relations. If there was a country out there that said Osama bin Laden's one of us, that's not going to get you a bunch of sympathy. Whereas you just killed yeah. one of Iran's generals, like that's worse. Uh, so to be fair, and, and and again, this isn't. Despite my support of the Iran nuclear agreement and and all of that, 
That doesn't mean that I feel like Iran and the way that it presents itself on a global on the global theater is great, right? That doesn't mean that I think that it just means that there are higher level bits that I think are more important and just because somebody was a bad guy or Iran was being a bad actor doesn't necessarily mean that the the actions we take are are going to be the right one. Right now, was there any indication that this guy was an imminent threat to U.S. sovereignty? Okay, so two things. First of all, what I forgot to say, I completely glossed over it. During the intermittent period uh, between the airstrikes that we did and the uh, killing, the assassination of Soleimani, um, there was an attack on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. And again, we believe, I liked, I poked at a few people, but like, it's one of the things that frustrates me about the whole Benghazi thing about like, I still think that when they said we believe that this video had something to do with it, that they weren't lying. They just like literally believed We're that. wrong. Uh, yeah, they were just wrong. They believed it, but they were wrong at the time. We currently believe and believed at the time that those attacks were carried out by Iran-backed Iraqi Shia militia members. Right, so, so is there is there is there any question that they were Iraqi Shia militia? No, that well, very little question. Whether or not they were Iran backed, there probably could be question. But again, I have no reason to doubt the administration on that. And if they tur- if it turns out that they just had the wrong information, and they tell us later that it was the wrong information. That's fine. This is a fluid situation right now. So you said that that attack on our embassy happened first? It happened between our airstrikes in in Iraq and the, the assassination. assassination of Soleimani. So we airstrike. Correct. Our embassy gets attacked. Correct. We assassinate. Correct. Now, here's the difference. Or, or here's one thing. As far as I understand... Um... The U.S. did not assassinate Soleimani due to the embassy at all. What I'm reading right here, I'll read it. The U.S. Defense Department said that the strike was carried out, quote, at the direction of the president, unquote, and asserted that Soleimani had been planning further attacks on American diplomats and military personnel and had approved the attacks on the American embassy in Baghdad in response to U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria on the 29th of December 2019, and that the strike was meant to deter future attacks. So, like, basically, we believe that he approved the attacks on the the embassy. Like, he had basically said, like, you know, since he commands the special forces, like, he maybe told some special force guy, Hey, whip up those Iraqi Shia militia and get them to attack the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, right? That's basically what what we think. And now, how bad was the attack on our embassy? Like, were there casualties? It was pretty was it... bad. There were no casualties, but like, it was like it was attacked and burnt and like semi bombed. Like, it was but no casualties. No casualties. I think it had already been evacuated or something like that. Um, did we know the attack was coming, so they evacuated it, or did they see. just? Let's see. We're learning a lot here, Rob, by all of us looking this by us looking this up. Oh my God! Attack 
on Baghdad Embassy. Okay, so it was on it was on New Year's Eve, Tuesday, December thirty first. Uh, let's read here. Okay, here's the background. On the 27th of December 2019, an Iraqi airbase in Kirkuk province was attacked by more than 30 rockets, killing an American civilian contractor and injuring four U.S. service members and two Iraqi security forces personnel. The U.S. blamed the Iranian-backed uh, Kataib Hezbollah militia, a subgroup of Iraq's popular mobilization forces for the attack. Then... On the 29th of December, two days later, the U.S. made retaliatory airstrikes targeting five Kataib Hezbollah and therefore popular mobilization forces, weapons storage facilities, and command and control locations in Iraq and Syria. 25 militia members died and 55 were wounded. U.S. officials said the strikes were a direct response to the killing of the American contractor on the 27th of December. Here's the attack. On the 31st of December, 2019, after a funeral was held for the Kataib Hezbollah militiamen that were killed by the prior U.S. airstrikes, an angry mob of dozens of Iraqi Shiite militiamen and their supporters marched through the perimeters of the Baghdad's heavily fortified Green Zone, marched down Baghdad's Kindy Street, and surrounded an entrance to the U.S. Embassy compound. According to the Associated Press, the Iraqi security forces did not attempt to stop the mob and permitted them to pass a security checkpoint. The mob began taunting security personnel. They were uh, they eventually smashed through the main door at the checkpoint, set fire to the reception area, raised the Iranian Popular Mobilization Forces militia flags and anti-American posters, and sprayed anti-American graffiti. Uh, one of the attackers reportedly sprayed, spray-painted, quote, Soleimani is our leader, unquote. Uh, oh, what the, who the fuck would do that? Uh, some idiot. That seems like a plant. That guy needs to get fired. Or he's a plant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As the fire broke out, an AP reporter on the scene observed at least half a dozen U.S. Marine security guardsmen and diplomatic security service personnel on the roof of the main embassy building with their guns trained on the intruders, many of which were wearing militia uniforms. The intruders stopped in a corridor after about five meters and were about 200 meters away from the main embassy building. There were also reports of tear gas being deployed. Um, The mob set fire to three trailers used by the security guards. Uh, a man on loudspeaker urged the mob not to enter the compound, saying, quote, the message was delivered, unquote. Interesting. De-escalating. Yeah, basically, hey, we got it. You're pissed at us. <laughs> Don't continue or we will kill. Well, um, that's, kind of, that's called escalating. Yes. Yeah, so the just first de-escalating. called de-escalating. <laughs> that's true. By early evening, the mob, which at one point numbered in the several hundreds, had largely retreated and protesters had set up tents outside the embassy in an attempted sit-in. Kataib Hezbollah spokesman Jafar al-Husseini claimed the protesters had no intention of storming the embassy 
and that the sit-in was to continue, quote, until American troops leave Iraq and the embassy is closed, unquote. Um, yeah, so Iran was accused of orchestrating the attack. Um, and again, I have no reason to doubt that. Okay, so in summary, if you're really, really interested and you want to read about all of this, there's actually a pretty good uh, Wikipedia article entitled 2019 through 2020 Persian Gulf Crisis, beginning with uh, the May 5th attacks on ships in the Persian Gulf. So, and uh, running all the way through till right now. Here's my deal, like... It's at this point it's like a butter battle, right? Like we're gonna just keep on escalating. Um now maybe they won't, right? Like maybe they're all talk. But I feel like if there's any positive quality to Donald Trump, I can't believe I'm gonna say this. I do believe him when he says that any attacks by Iranian forces will result in swift and decisive action. So it's if there's any if there's any positive, it's that I do think that's true, and I have no doubt that it will be true. Right? So maybe that's a good thing, and it's not. I, I'm I like. I'm not saying it, it is, or it, I, I'll give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt and say, who knows? I could be wrong, and maybe it will de-escalate the whole thing, and Iran will put their tail between their legs and run away. I don't believe that will happen, but uh, maybe. So, <laughs> at this point, it's, I, I don't know because the future hasn't happened yet. However, I, I do think that, like, we have a tendency and the global community is getting more frustrated with the tendency for uh, escalating situations without involving the necessary parties. Um, I've got two thoughts on that. Thought one is, unless there is... Unless the action you're taking is to directly prevent the loss of life of one of your citizens, then you should think hard before you kill another person. So if they already killed someone, but you don't have any reason to believe that there's imminent more death, then maybe think about it before you kill people. Mm. Um, And the second thought is, in the U.S.'s defense... We had promises from a lot of countries that we were going to get a lot more support in Iraq than we ever did get. And so now those countries want to say, go fuck yourself. Like, I see. You put, you, if you had put in the support you said you were going to from the get-go, that's how you paid for your right to be included. Oh, okay. Val- I mean, that's a valid but argument. But if you say you're going to support and then just don't, and now you want to say, maybe not. <laughs> Okay. Maybe, maybe not. That's valid. Uh, yeah, but I would say there's also some value to just the, uh, what's what's the word? The air of support. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the if we actually got into some type of war with Iran, 
No. Then, um, regardless of the actual monetary or military aid made by our allies, there could be drastically different outcomes depending on the political aid and the political support that our allies give us. Does that make sense? Right? Like, like I'd argue that if you have two worlds, one in which what happened happened, right? They, they all supported us but then didn't do anything. And then another world where they still didn't do anything but they also didn't support us. I feel like there's a di- there's a there is a difference there, although I don't know exactly how to quantify it. And I could be wrong. That's just a guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm also frustrated that like a lot of times there's like these genocides that happen, like you know, in, most recently in Eritrea and in Yemen. And, you know, there was one going on in Libya and like all of these genocides, no one takes any military action unless the U.S. starts it. And the U.S. needs to break that Mm. because we can't be the world police like we could. But I don't want us to be the world police. But at the same time, I don't I think the world community should do more to like I don't know. Iran is not where the problems in the world are as far as mil- world military power should be concerned. Uh, so a war against Iran is definitely in no one's interest, I think. I don't think that's going to work out for Iran, and I don't think it's going to work out for the U.S. Like, I think that that should just... Everything we can do to you, make you that mean, not happen, we yeah, should Yeah, you do. mean in terms of active human suffering, Iran is not the primary, right? Right. Well, there, when there's genocides actively occurring, like where there's just people being killed for arbitrary reasons in mass quantity that's where i think uh, there should be some type of worldwide response and it should not be led by any one country like i just i think spreading out that leadership is how you get better results yeah um okay i yeah i agree and in the past 10 years if the u.s didn't respond then no one did. Yeah. No, no I, one went to Syria because the U.S. didn't go. No one went to Yemen because the U.S. didn't go. No one went to Eritrea because the U.S. didn't go. Fucking everyone went to Libya because the U.S. went. Like, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a bad precedent that is currently going on in the world. And I don't know how the world deals with that. Would you say that that's possibly one area in which you sort of baby agree with Trump? Because I feel like he holds some of the, like a, a similar opinion, right? That we're always leading, we're always putting the most in. Right. I think that we, I, we are always leading. I think we should. I think we should continue to not go, and we should have a, a country wide stance that. We will never be more than 33% of any one of these efforts. Mm, If the world can't put in something else. Yeah. Like, we get ourselves hated around the world because we're invading countries all the damn time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's not make it us. Yeah, that's a a good argument. And, like, when was the last time we did one of these things that worked? Uh, 1945 in Japan. That was the last fucking time it worked. Yeah. So, like, we have a really fucking bad history at this point. Let's stop. <laughs> uh, 
you could argue that the Korean War worked for South Korea only. Does that count? <laughs> but it, wor- it worked out real bad in North Korea. I, so that kind of balances it out of uh, it. Yeah. So. And then whatever we should have learned from South Korea didn't work in Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, didn't work in Iraq either time. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work in Libya. Libya's not better off. Egypt's not better off. Yeah, I I agree. Well, anyway, I don't know what the answer is. I think this was a good discussion, though. I felt like I learned a lot. Uh, and I feel like if people want to learn more, there is a pretty good uh, Wikipedia article about who threw which things at whom due to the butter being on the wrong side of the bread. Sometime in the next couple weeks, we are going to have Mr. Steven back on to discuss uh, podcast stuff as well as, and secondarily to that episode, pick a new book. Um, I don't exactly remember, but I'm pretty sure that book is already picked. I think it is. <laughs> um... Unless Aaron remembers what it is, because I don't. Uh, I do uh, remember what it is. It is the first book of the Unhewn Throne trilogy. So if you want to get a head start on that, uh, spoiler alert, that will be the book we will be announcing that we are starting <laughs> when that should happen. The we- I am not starting just yet. I will wait till that actual podcast happens to get started. Um, in the meantime, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, we are on the internet. Facebook, uh, still got nothing. Facebook group, um, still got nothing at gmail.com if you want to send us an email directly. Both of those do not have a final G. They do have a first G, though, because got has a G in it. Correct. Um, yeah. Uh, yep. 